All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Anglers Happy Hour podcast. It's been a busy couple weeks. Uh, so again, we're uh, sorry we haven't been with you in the last week or two, but uh, we're glad to be back. Um, and this week, it's Rob, myself, and uh, our buddy from Southern California, Cody Spetch, joining us in a little bit. He's an absolute stud, young tournament angler. He's got some awesome stories. So Hopefully uh, you guys will enjoy his interview. Nick is down in Mexico doing some fishing. So, you know, we always hate to miss Nick for an episode, but when we miss him, we know that he's coming back with some good stories. Doesn't matter if he's uh, just traveling with his family or actually going fishing in this case, you know, he's going to come back with some juice. Um, so we're looking forward to that. But uh, before we get over to Cody, let's uh, catch up a little bit. we got a couple items to talk about here. Um, but, and first what's up, what's up with you, Rob? Not much, dude. My first question to you, Josh, is how was Monster Trucks? Did you make it? Yeah, so we <laughs> Monster Jam came to Phoenix, the Monster Truck Show, right? And my son loves Monster Trucks, like just absolutely loves Monster Trucks. And uh, he, he turned four this past weekend, so we said, hey, this will be the perfect birthday present. We'll take him there. The only issue was I was at that Major League Fishing team event in Minnesota, a day and a half before this started and I had to drive home. Rob almost flew in and helped me drive. I said, no, man, let me just knock it out. So soon as I, you know, made my last cast, went back to the interviews at the hotel, I got in the truck and started driving. I stopped, you know, for, you know, a handful of hours each night, but I busted my butt to get home. We get to monster jam and Parker, of course, dude, like catches a cold. No, during like on our way there, he starts to not feel well. And we get there, dude. And he is like hating life. I felt so bad for what him. What a dude. bummer. We're in there and he's like zoned out, not wanting to talk to anybody, not wanting to do anything. I said, dude, do you want some candy? He's like, no. <laughs> That's oh when you know that guy. your son is sick when a four-year-old doesn't want M&M. So yeah, Emma liked it, but it was, a, dude, it was a real bummer because like we knew he was going to go nuts and love it. He just felt so bad. You know, we ended up getting him home and, and sure enough, he had caught some, some cold. He had a, a fever and just all the stuff. So he's doing well, better now, but. At least your dad of the year for driving across the country to make it to monster jam. So we were laughing on the way home. And what's funny yep. dude is you never know with him. Like it, it, we, he's like absolutely miserable. And we strap him into the car seat and we're driving him home. And he goes, that was the best night ever. <laughs> like, That's awesome. I don't think it was for you, man. It didn't look like it. So funny. Well, yeah. So basically I've been hunting all of, uh, September, not me personally hunting, but helping friends. Uh, my buddy Les had an archery hunt, shot an absolute monster bull. Nice. And I had Congrats went home. Yeah. I had went home already. Yeah. He was, he was just hunting out of a blind and I had to get home and do a few things. And he calls me at like, I don't know, five o'clock in the evening. He's like, I shot one. So <laughs> dude, we're like three and a half hours away from where we hunt. So I, I got in my truck and I called Alex, um, Alex Sentner and our, our buddy, uh, uh, Jesse parks. They were literally go leaving the house to go scout for elk for Alex's wife. Well, that's hunt. good timing at least. Yeah. And they turned around and headed up there and we all got there and helped him get the elk out of the woods. And it was a pretty cool moment. So I was glad to, glad to be able to do that. So pretty cool. He's got friends like you guys. It sounds like that's like the unwritten rule. Like if someone takes down an elk, like you have to drop everything and go right. Dude, those things are so massive. Like 
he kept saying, and did I'll bust his balls forever about it, but he kept saying, Oh, I could have done it. I could have done it. Oh. And he's saying that like at nine o'clock the next morning, I'm like, yeah, you'd still be in there. Like, you, no, you couldn't like it. And we're glad to go do it. Right. Like it's a, we get to go enjoy the cool part of it. So nice. anyhow, um, we got done with that hunt and literally the following week we were up on Alex's wife's uh, early rifle elk hunt, which is, the hunt of a lifetime and she shot an absolute stud of a, of a bull too. So it, um, that she shot it on the opening evening. So we didn't hunt a ton. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, hey, perfect. Yeah. But it, it was, it was very good, very good hunt. Um, what else I've been guiding a little bit, um, not a ton. It's, it's really going to pick up this week. Um, I'm just anxious to talk about the Mille Lacs tournament with you. I, was unfortunately hunting at the time and wasn't able to watch your awesome first day, but let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, dude, I mean, yeah, you, uh, you were busy doing some awesome stuff and you did miss that, you know, by the time you got home and watched, I started to fade out pretty quick in the tournament, but, um, yeah, it was fun. We talked about it as I was about to head up there. I talked about kind of what I had done in, in pre-practice and, you know, practice. So Malax, you know, for everybody that's listening, I think a lot of you know, but it's primarily a smallmouth lake. It's a big giant bowl of a lake. It's about 20 miles wide, about 20 miles long. Rob would come, you'd come up there and pre-practice with me. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, how the lake sets up, how it lays out, you know, um, you know, the zones that are good and, and the zones that are dead from, or at least from what we saw. And uh, that lake, the fish were still in a summer mode. They weren't grouped up in their fall schools yet. So it was really a tournament that was dominated by boulders. And, and I'm talking about with those fish in that lake, if there's a big boulder the size of your dinner table, it's got smallmouth bass on it. doesn't matter if it's in five feet of water or in 23 feet of water, those boulders are magnets to the fish. Now there's other factors, you know, bait fish being in an area, water quality in an area, just whatever. Um, but you've got to have boulders and, and, you know, depending on what type of boulder it is, you know, you're going to have more or less fish, but anyways, they're very boulder related. There's some grass lines and there were some fish using grass lines, but really the rocks were the big thing. The first day of practice, the wind blew 25 to 30, one of the windiest days I've fished all year. And it was impossible to get out off just one corner of the lake. If you got a mile off offshore, you were in four, four to five foot waves. It was huge. So kind of a wasted day. I ended up catching like a dozen fish cranking um, and throwing a drop shot. But it wasn't really the area of the lake. It was the southwest corner that was that was calm enough to fish and I didn't really want to fish there. So, I mean, I, I had found some stuff that maybe I could use as a backup, but it was really going to be a one day of practice for most everybody because that's when that that's, happens is the lake just, I mean, is all, are all 80 competitors in one little area? Yes. It's and hilarious. You feel that? That's all you could do. Gotcha. I mean, literally okay. all you could do. So all of us, so basically all of us had one day of practice on this big body of water luckily the next day was calm and it was cloudy and drizzly which for what sometimes those smallmouth bite a lot better when it's calm and sunny those fish in that lake they'll bite reaction a lot better and cruise a lot more when it's cloudy which is what you would think for bass fishing but sometimes smallmouth are different where they like 
that sun. They're such sight feeders. But these fish, when it was calm and cloudy and grizzly, they bit a crankbait. And we, I, I cranked all day long, caught a lot of fish cranking, um, the new Berkeley money badger, and then a couple other, you know, mid to mid de deep diving crankbait stuff that goes seven to 10 feet deep was kind of the key. And, uh, crawdad or shad colors. Um, the money badger was crawdad and then shad colors in the others. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, pretty much just covered water. I found one long grass line that had a couple groups of fish on it, which was really interesting. I knew I wanted to start there the next day and uh, you wouldn't sit there and wear them out, but you catch one. And one of the great things, again, I always talk about the live scope, but and when you count, caught one smallmouth fishing, you can shine your live scope arrow at your fish that you're reeling in and see if he has fish with him or not. Right. And smallmouth fishing, that's so huge because they, they group up sometimes. Um, and these were the only groups I found, you know, uh, a couple of them, I was reeling a fish in and saw 10 or 15 fish with it and thought, wow, that's pretty interesting. They may not be here, but I'm definitely going to come check this out tomorrow. So I started on one of those groups and caught, <laughs> it was awesome, dude. I caught one on every cast for 30 minutes straight in the first period cranking and uh, jumped out to a big lead. So it was, it was a great start to the first morning, had a, a big lead at the end of the first period, and then just went deeper boulder fishing when the sun came out and my timing was perfect that day. I mean, I, I, I was the first guy to every boulder and there was a fish waiting for my drop shot every time. I was drop shot in a Berkeley hit worm. And uh, yeah, I mean, just perfect day. Caught the absolute crap out of them. And uh, I was leading going into the second day and the the winner of the round always makes the limit the uh, championship round automatically so if you can win the elimination round you get an automatic bid to the top 10 on the final day um so i was going to go out and shoot for it stephen browning was really close he was only a couple pounds back and then there was like a 30 pound gap for the next guy so i get out the next morning and i'm thinking it's just stephen that i have to worry about just beat stephen well, Steven and I get off this low starts, both of us. I end up catching three or four fish cranking, but I, for everyone I caught, I lost like two or three. They just weren't eating it good. They were getting the back hook. And I don't know if it was from the pressure of me the day before, or if something just changed with the fish, but they weren't eating the crankbait for me that well. And I thought, okay, well, Steven's not catching them. I'm going to go catch what I need to get on the boulders. I don't need to catch 80 something pounds again. I just need to catch like 40. And my timing was horrible on the boulders. I was like, I'd pull up to an area and there was a guy just leaving. Um, I'd, I'd pull up to an area and the water didn't look right. The water had, there was a lot of sediment in the water um, and stuff like that that hadn't been there the first day. So long story short, I battle all day and I'm just slowly bleeding out. I'm still in first, but Mark Daniels is catching the absolute crap out of him on the second day. And he comes from like 50 pounds back passes me with like an hour to go i finished second and he wins the round so cool because i'm moving on to the knockout round but it sucked because i you know I, I didn't get my automatic bid and i also the you know i also had realized like hey what i did yesterday isn't really happening anymore so basically everything is wiped clean and you know now all i can do is focus on how am i going to catch these fish in the knockout round and move on and the knockout round for me was uh it was, you know, it wasn't the slug fest of the first day. I was catching fish all day long, you know, had a good bag of fish overall. But, um, you know, I, I sat between 12th and 20th for most of the day, just one or two fish out. 
And then I ended up finishing in 20th or 21st, um, just kind of ran out of steam in the last hour. And that's what happens. If you, if you don't catch anything in an hour, you're, you're going to, you're going to drop. So, um, I can't, I've said it a million times on this podcast, but I can't imagine having to catch fish all day long to be competitive, but you honestly have to in that format. It's exhausting. I mean, dude, yep. it's uh, it's exhausting. You, you catch a four and a half pounder, four and a half pound smallie. It's a big deal in most cases, right? Yep. Like you sit there, oh, look at this fish. This is awesome. This is going to help me out. Well, in this deal, it's like throw it back in the water get your butt back on the trolling motor and find another one right now, because you're going to fall behind if you don't, (laughs) you know, it's just, well, in a a five fish situation, you might not even consider throwing a crankbait in the morning, which had to be an absolute blast that first morning catching that many fish on a crankbait. Yeah. The school of fish I had had cranking were a lot of three pounders. I did catch like a five, three, but um, a lot of threes and like James Elam had a school of big ones cranking. You know, so it just, but yeah, after so what possible. I saw in practice right. and had a bunch of three pounders, I probably wouldn't have done it, but in a five fish deal, but, uh, regardless anyways, uh, you know, it was a disappointing final day, but a good way to end the year, had fun the first day, made, made some money, uh, finished the year in 27th and point. So made red crest, made heavy hitters. So successful, uh, Absolutely. not crazy, exciting year, but successful enough. And, uh, yeah, now ready to go to Mead for the U S open. I think I tell you all the time, not on the podcast, but there's, uh, what, 40 other guys that would love to have your ear. So yeah, no, thanks, man. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it, it's all good. And, uh, you always uh, know how to cheer me up dude after, after a tournament. So it's how many fish did it. you catch the first day? I think, I, I think I had, um, 30 ish That's a big day, yeah, especially 30-ish. when they're all basically what three plus fish, probably three pound average close to that. I think I had 29 <laughs> for like, I don't know, 89 pounds or something. So it was good fishing um, overall, for sure. It was, I mean, yeah. dude, any, any time you can go catch big smallies like that, it's sick. Um, dude, uh, I guess the only other thing, we're going to send it over to Cody. Um, we've been going a little long for the podcast as a whole here, but dude, we got to talk about those walleye fishermen. Everyone's talking about them. <laughs> we've got to at least address it real quick. <laughs> so I wasted an hour. I didn't waste. I spent an hour this morning when I got up early and I, I listened to a podcast with the tournament director. Uh huh. What do you have to say? And another local tournament director. So this this thing happened on a Friday, and they were on this podcast Sunday morning, dude. It blows my mind that that you would think the tournament director would have an attorney that would maybe be advising him. I I don't I don't know if that's a good idea or not. He was. It was good to hear what he had to say. I mean, he, I feel bad for that guy because, uh, you know, he, he actually considered these guys friends like he considers all of his competitors sure. friends, cool. right? Yep. And, and he, yeah, he, he looked like he got run over by a truck. Like he was, that dude, I don't think that dude had slept since Oof. Friday. So imagine. Yeah. The fact that he took time to go on that podcast is crazy because imagine I've never, I don't think I've ever seen anything in tournament fishing. Now we're talking walleye here, but still tournament fishing. That's been this viral. Have you? It's just, it's our, it's the, it's what we live in today. I mean, because everything is immediate, right? Everyone has a camera in their hand. Um, you, You take the, make sure I get these names, right. The Mike Hart deal at the U S open 10 years ago. Um, you know, not everyone was willing to jump out with their camera on their phone and film everything going on. Right. Yeah, dude, you're right. It was more, that, now it's just commonplace. 
I mean, there, I don't know how many different angles of that deal I, I watched, uh, from different cameras. So, uh, yeah, it's just what we live in today. And I, the, the good of it is, well, there's two good, good things. One are the memes. <laughs> but, yes. <laughs> yes. But the reality, I mean, it's going to make people think before they do this again. Because uh-huh. it, I mean, these guys are pretty brazen criminals. I mean, think about, that's another thing I want to talk about. You, you watch Major League Fishing um, and you get a fish in the boat and you tell your official that thing's 2.8. And you, he might be two six, he might be two nine, but guys are within an ounce here or there, just looking at fish because you're weighing them. And you're so think about a weighmaster. He knows what five fish. He knows weigh. exactly how big they are by looking. Exactly. At yep. So I mean, he yeah to to be able to hear that part, I I was wanting to hear that, and that's the good part about that podcast is you get to hear that guy's thought process as they're weighing the fish in. He's like, there's no way they had that kind of weight you know, looking, he, he just knew and he, yeah. you can hear people in the crowd talking about it too. It's pretty interesting. So. Wow. Yeah. Those guys were brazen, man. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's coming to them now. It's, yeah. it's, what's the name of that podcast? So I can check it out. I think it's big water. I think okay. the guy, the guy that ran it is, I, I want to say his name was Ross. Uh, sounds like I podcast. Yeah. I'm just assuming it's like a Lake Erie podcast. Um, I'm assuming he's a, the way he spoke, I'm assuming he's a walleye guide and a okay. competitor on, on Lake Erie. So um, yeah, it was, it was a good podcast. I mean, obviously with what's going on, you, you're going to, you're going to listen to it, but. Oh yeah, dude. So last night I was watching Monday night football and you know, they have the scores rolling across the bottom on ESPN. Yeah. I'm not kidding, dude. It just says, you know, it'll say MLB and have the scores. NHL yeah. have the scores. Fishing. It just says fishing. And then walleye <laughs> tournament anglers accused of adding weight to fish in Lake Erie walleye tournament. During Monday night football. Yeah, dude. On the bottom of the screen. I mean, this thing has gone national. It's crazy. It's been on TMZ Sports, Fox News, CNN. These guys are screwed, dude. And, yes, and, they and, are. You know, it's a black eye tournament fishing, but again, it uh, these guys are caught. They're getting what what you know what what's coming to them. And uh, yeah, dude. Overall, I mean, it's just it's a good it's a horrible thing that they were cheating, but it's a yes. great thing that they were caught. Correct. I agree. And it's probably a good thing that it's it's being made a big deal of and not being swept under the rug. So it's good. Yeah, because it's happened. It's happened forever. I mean. It, the only disturbing thing about that podcast was how that the other tournament director was talking about how uh, we're going to try our hardest to make sure this doesn't happen again, but it probably will. And blah, blah. it was kind of interesting. Like, I don't know. I think that's part of the, 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 that's a walleye specific issue because they're allowed to weigh dead fish in. That's crazy to me. It's dude. nuts, dude. Like what does that do to their, their fish population? Yeah. That's why they're stocking walleyes everywhere. Huh. But I don't it, know. It, it's so yeah, and that's it. Just right there, it's so hard to do that to a bass and keep it alive. So it is. Yeah. It's it's just harder in that way. But God, who knows, man? It's a. It's definitely one of those sports that there's always going to be those guys that that do that no matter what. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're learning from from all that, I guess. But um, anyways, uh, I, I guess enough of that. Do you have anything else before we swing it over to Cody? Nope, I'm looking forward to talking to Cody. Yeah, cool guys. We uh, we'll be back here. It's gonna be probably about two weeks to be honest before we chat again. I'll be at the open and uh, um, 
when we get back together, we'll have Nick for some of his uh, beloved Mexico stories, and uh, we'll see how your guiding goes the next couple weeks, man. Sounds good. All right, guys, here's Cody Spets. All right, guys, we talked about him a little bit in the intro, um, but, yeah, let's introduce again a, a Western tournament stud uh, from Southern California, Cody Spets. What's going on with you, man? Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for the compliment, too, man. I, I don't know if I called myself a stud, but, you know, there's a lot of good guys out there, but I appreciate it. <laughs> heck, yeah. So it looks like you are – you're in a heck of a garage right now, dude. Tell us about your setup behind you. Oh, I'm just sitting here. This is my boat garage. Um, this is my dad's boat here. I don't know if you guys okay. get a good picture of it, but he's what got is a little it? jet boat. And it's a jet boat. Okay. Yeah, it's an 83 Commander. And then uh, I'm sitting here in my boat, and then to my right there is my – my brother's boat so this is where all the tackle work goes down this is where all the the fun happens a bunch of stories get talked about and yeah it's pretty cool that's pretty sweet man is it uh so you say your brother's boat yeah okay right on does he fish a lot of tournaments as well he does yep he does a lot of the one bass stuff cool yeah he does he does all right is yeah, he gonna be in the open this week he's not he's actually his boat's down right now dang dude so yeah and i told him i was like yeah you can take mine but i don't know we're still caught up right now with work dude and it's we gotta i don't know we gotta crack down on this job thing we got and uh what's uh what's work for you these days so i'm a heavy equipment operator i'm a foreman for a company i've been with them for nine years now um we do asphalt grinding and soil stabilization so it's been a good gig you know it's the only job i've ever had since i was 18 years old no kidding yeah yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And dude, I mean, we talked a little earlier this summer, you were talking about, uh, you know, uh, making bass fishing like a, a full time gig. Is that still the plan? It's the plan, man. We uh, we qualified from the Toyota Series Western Division this year. Um, we finished fourth in points. And that was kind of my whole goal of fishing MLF this year, at least the Toyota Series on the West Coast. Um, it was to qualify because, you know, I'm kind of ready for a lifestyle change, I guess. And I love it. Man. Be, that's yeah. That's cool. It, uh, it's a hard life, dude, but it's also a really fun life. And, uh, you know, every job is hard and it's got its own hard things as, as you know, man, but it's, uh, the, the grind of fishing regional tournaments is really not that different than fishing national tournaments, man. Yeah. You guys just got a little bit more traveling. I mean, it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be a huge lifestyle change for me. I've always gone to work and if my hands don't come back dirty, you know, I'm not making any money, but it's like I said, it's just going to be a change of gears for me. Been I'm excited about it. I'm definitely nervous, but I'm excited about it. It's what I've something I've always wanted to do. I mean, I think every bass fisherman who's ever picked up a fishing rod kind of has had that dream or that thought of trying to do it. So oh, yeah, here I am. Dude, you I know you've got what it takes. Everyone, everyone says that knows you from out west, you know, when they're talking about up and coming dudes that have what it takes, you're always on the list, man. So I I know that you're gonna go out there and have success. We saw it with some guys, uh uh, there's a good crop of young Western fishermen right now. We talked about it with Gunner last week, but uh, the handful of guys have made a big splash in the last two or three years. And I don't think, uh, I, I think we're sending a few more good ones back East this year. Yeah, we are. I, there, there are, I mean, and there are a lot of my buddies, you know, these, the younger, I guess we don't want to call them less than 30 years of age. And we're all good buddies is the cool part, you know, and we all kind of support each other, you know, iron sharpens iron. Yeah. And we, you know, after a tournament, we all talk to each other, you know, we break down what we all did and it's, it's a lot of fun and we got a cool support system behind us. It's really fun. So Cody, you won the U uh, S open qualifier at Habasu, you and your team partner, correct? Yes. That would be Jordan column is his name. Okay. So was that 
is that what kind of sparked your um, interest in going back to the tour or was this a plan all along? This was a plan all along. That tournament was actually a tournament that Jordan called me about because we had to run a White River product and he owns a Ranger. So he's sponsored by Angler's Marine. He calls me and goes, hey, you want to you know, fish this tournament? And I said, yeah, let's do it. He goes, there's 50 grand on the line. And the tournament originally started in uh, Lake Mead in April of the of last year, but it got blown out. It got too windy. So they, they pulled the plug on that tournament, <clears throat> said they're going to reschedule it. So then they ended up rescheduling it till October of last year and put it on Havasu. So, you know, we kind of just jumped in it sort of last minute, just said, let's go do it, dude. And we did it and went fishing for a day and won 50 grand, which is pretty cool. That's that's a chunk of money to, to start with. That's pretty cool. It helps out. Yeah. It definitely puts a little bit of, you know, money in the pocketbook to be able to go pursue this thing. Pretty sweet. Are you like, uh, so I know you fished Havasu a bunch. You're in Southern California. How far are you from Havasu? I'm about four hours from Havasu. Okay. So that's almost a home lake for you then. Almost. Yeah. But I, um, I cut my teeth fishing the Colorado river. That's what a lot of like people the lower know. river on the lower river. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. So everyone kind of pursues me as this diamond Valley guy throwing a thin Senko in a drop shot with a spinning rod, <laughs> but I don't know. I can, I can pick up a flipping rod, no problem and a frog and feel right at home. That's pretty cool, man. That that's yeah. a pretty interesting part of the state that like doesn't get talked about too much, you know, uh, because it's not a big giant body of water and they don't have a ton of big tournaments there, but pretty special down there. And that the, the, the river is pretty unique because it's, it's got clear water, but super heavy cover. So you need kind of a blend of stealth and power skills at the same time, right? Yes. Yep. You need it all. I mean, and those fish, they change by the day. They're, they're almost like, you know, tidal fish because you get so much water fluctuation too. Things can change by the minute. And you know, you got that aspect and you also got just running the boat down there is a scary one. You know, you got some pretty treacherous water. You got to really know what you're doing. No kidding. Yeah. So, I mean, and that was one of the toughest things for me was learning river systems. I never, I mean, I would fish tournaments at Havasu and Martinez and stuff, but I didn't spend a bunch of time. So river, you know, learning about also learning just how fish relate to current and what, what current does to fish. Cause that's a universal deal. It goes all across the country and it even translates into lakes sometimes when you have current situations on lake so i think you're you're uh that's a heck of a training ground dude no doubt yeah yeah so and then you know i like i said i live 20 minutes from diamond valley i'm actually looking at the dam right now i can see the dam right from my front porch and it's uh that's where i really cut my teeth when it came to tournament bass fishing you know i was fishing all the team events out there and you know started started getting pretty pretty good at those team tournaments there for a little bit and then uh decided to jump on board and start fishing like the one bass pro-ams and and that led to you know having a couple good seasons with one bass and then last year is when i said you know i want to go try this thing out let's let's fish a full series of the toyota series you know to try to try to make that top five and get that invite and we were able to pull it off in one season so that was pretty cool so yeah and you say we dude let's talk about your bud so it's jordan and uh you have one other bud doing it as well right patrick Tui. yep so three of you finish in the top five. That's pretty legit. So you can all do it at once. Talk about these guys and then, um, you know, talk about some of your experiences traveling together, man. Cause I know when, yeah, I mean, you're, you're in your twenties, you're running around fishing these tournaments with your, your buds. That's gotta be a blast. 
yeah, no, it's, it's pretty crazy. Cause we all had that conversation before the, the season even started. We're like, Hey, you know, if you make the top five, are you going to do it? And everyone kind of said, yeah. And we're all sitting around. Okay. Yeah. I guess we'll do it. And it's, it's just wild how it happened that all three of us made it in the top five this year. So we're all looking at each other at the end of it. And we're like, well, I guess we're doing this thing. We're all three going. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Pretty committed, dude. So did you guys, do you guys share a lot of information when you're at the events? Uh, a little bit, not at all. What, how do you guys work together? Yeah, you no, know, we work, we all work together pretty well. Uh, we all want to see each other do good. That's the thing. I mean, we're not going to give each other the juice, you know, we're not saying, Hey, I'm going here and I'm making this. Oh, yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we talk, we, you know, Hey, what'd you find today? You know, Hey, I found him doing this over here. I found him doing that over here. You know, this place, you know, is firing, you know, take a look at this area. You know, that's just, just the normal stuff, you know, yeah. but we all, we all want to see each other do well. Do you guys have like different strengths as fishermen or, uh, you know, all pretty, pretty, uh, you know, similar, well-rounded guys. We do. We all have different strengths. That Patrick too, he is a magician with the swim bait. I don't pretty know cool. if you've seen, I don't yep. know if you've seen his weights at Havasu this year. I mean, he looked like he was fishing a different lake in that MLF. He made everyone else look dummy. He, he absolutely yeah. killed everyone throwing a swim bait. Yeah, he did. He did. So, and then Jordan, uh, Jordan's a great power fisherman, just a junk fisherman, really. He could put 20 rods on the deck and get bit on every single one of those in, in a single day of fishing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good yeah. skill to have when you go to a lake that you're not super familiar with, man. I mean, just to yeah. be able to go generate bites and and uh, break areas down like that, that's a, that's huge. Yep, definitely. definitely. Pretty cool. Um, so when you guys, <laughs> like, what's what's your plan for travel this year? Because I know you guys have kind of a, a – a, you know, you've been, you've been planning it out for like a year now. Are you guys going to um, do the motorhome deal? Are you going to uh, rent houses? What's, what's your plan? I'm going more of the camping route. We got the motorhome. Um, it's going to be me and my girlfriend. We're going to, you know, she can work from home on the road. So it's going to be, it's going to work out great for us. And yeah, then we're going to do the motorhome deal and hit campsite to campsite and lake to lake, you know, and then try to fly back home whenever we can, whenever we get a break in between events. Um, but for the most part, it looks like the first three events of the MLF invitationals, they're all pretty back to back to back. So we're going to be out there. Looks like probably from early February, probably into April. So that'll be our first go around out there. Right on. Where are they at? Our first one's on Okeechobee. That's in early February. Um, then we're going to move to Clarks Hill, Georgia. Uh, then we got Eufaula. Lake of the Ozarks, Potomac River, and La Crosse, Wisconsin, Mississippi nice. River. That is yeah. a shallow water fisherman schedule right there, dude. Are you stoked about that? Or I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it, yeah. I feel right at home in that grass. And, you know, the, the only one, that Clark's Hill, that's going to be a, a different one for me. You know, you got those. Um, the uh, herring. The herring. So that's, yep. I've never fished a herring lake before. So that'll be a cool little learning curve. But And it'll be, po- it. like what, what, it's in uh, May, April, May? Um, I don't have the schedule right in front of me. Actually, you know what? I could pull it don't up. Don't worry about it, dude. <laughs> it's all okay. good. I'm just, yeah, you might get one of those, uh, like a herring spawn or something like that going on. So it could be pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, no, I'm excited for it. And I've, you know, everyone does their research on YouTube, watches the videos, the old Bassmasters, the old FLWs out there. And, you know, they, they look like a lot of fun. Heck yeah. I think Okeechobee, you know, being for, for whatever reason, for me, Okeechobee is my favorite Florida Lake. And I don't know uh, how this, this hurricane is going to affect that Lake. Have you been, uh, you know, following that at all to see if it brought the water level up or anything like that? Yeah. I know it's way off. Yeah. You know, I haven't, um, but I'm also curious with the same thing. 
I mean, that hurricane ripped right through the middle there. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what the winds were like if it ripped a lot of the grass out. The thing about that lake is it's still always going to have a bunch of reeds. And even when you don't have good hydrilla, there's still, I mean, the lake is surrounded by reeds. So, and the fish are, are still going to be in there. I just, for whatever reason, that lake, I think what, what I like about it is like you go to a lake like Toho and there's so much hydrilla that it's like, it's hard to pinpoint the fish because there's literally so much. I mean, mm-hmm. the entire lake is hydrilla, whereas Okeechobee, the grass only grows in real specific spots. So it's a lot easier to, I mean, when you find it, you're in the fish, right? And uh, yeah, it, it's not like a needle in a haystack. Quite, It's a giant lake. But once you can settle down into those areas that actually have the right grass and that good hard bottom, you're around the fish. And there's, there's you know, fish just like, like Toho. It's got tons of big fish i think i think you'll love it for whatever reason the western fishermen seem to do really really well at okeechobee as a whole like brett heights won a couple uh or won a tournament come close a couple mm-hmm. times out there and uh you just see these western guys for whatever do do really well at okeechobee yeah no i'm, I'm excited for it and you know i'm glad they went to uh to florida first because it's the it's usually a toss-up between going to florida or like southeast texas uh-huh so I'm glad we're going to Florida. It just kind of suits my style a little bit better. It's cool. It'll be something different. Do those tournaments, the new invitationals, do they have off limits or what's the. Yep. There is an off limits. Um, It's basically the same rule setup as the tech warehouse pro circuit that they've been running the last couple of years. Gotcha. Um, We got two days of practice and there is a month off limits beforehand. Wow. So are you going to go pre-practice at all? Or is that you just going to go do the two days of practice? And if you know, if it's doable, yeah. I should say, I mean, I would love to go pre-practice every lake, but I don't still know if it's going to be doable. It's going right. to have to come down to scheduling. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. It's... Are you going to fish anything out West? Also, I would love or... to, co- I would love to come back and fish some of these Toyota series, but it looks like the schedules are pretty much on top of each other. Gotcha. You know, the, the Toyota series this year, they're, they start in February at Havasu and then they go back to back Delta tournaments, March and April. So we got, they plug in all three Toyota series events next year in a three month span. During the busiest kind of travel season of fishing back East too, you know, as a, as a guy that fishes back East, that's real tough to get back and, and fish in the spring. Like the fall events are great because you're done fishing, you know, the tour's over by the fall, yeah. right? Yep. So it, it, I would love to come back and do it. Um, but it's just, if it's going to be feasible or not. Right on. Well, dude, are you doing the, are you doing ahead, the U.S. Open this next week? I am not. And it's no. really puts a knot in my stomach thinking about it because that's yeah. the first U.S. Open I've missed since 2014. And, you know, it just came down to, it came down to priorities. Um, yeah. You know, I'm taking off two weeks. I'm leaving here in October 20th for Gunnersville, the Toyota Series Championship. So I'm taking off two weeks of work there. And it just would have been two back to back, you know, trying to, trying to keep the work schedule happy, you know, and I had to pick and choose my, my battles there. So, so Cody, I, I got tipped off to you from a, a good friend of mine, Blaine Ruddy. Oh, Blaine. Uh, good dude. And I called Josh and Josh was like, yeah, I talk to the guy all the time. He's super cool. And so anyhow, he told me about a business venture that your dad does with pigeons. Can you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> Pigeon racing, man. If I had a dollar for every time I told this story it's uh yeah he runs a uh, i'm actually looking at the pigeon loft right now he's we have a pigeon loft it's about 
4,000 square feet at our house and he runs a pigeon race. They're homing pigeons. So what people do is they'll breed a pigeon, um, a homing pigeon from all across the country. They'll send it to my dad when it's between four to eight weeks old. And my dad will accept the bird. He'll put it in the loft, leave it in the loft for you know, a month and a half, two months, and it, it obtains its homing instinct in there. You know, it finds out there's food, water, shelter. And once my dad gets up to about 800 to 1,000 pigeons, um, he starts training them. He starts letting them outside after they all have their home, homing instinct. He lets them outside, fly around the loft. And from there, we'll start catching them at night and training them. So we have to go, me and my brother and my dad will go in there at night catch all these pigeons, put them on a trailer, all 800 to a thousand of them. <laughs> take crazy. them, take them about, you know, take them. We start them off at like 10 miles away, take them 10 miles away, let them out of the trailer. They fly home. So this is all to build their homing instinct to know where home is at. And then we're, yep. you know, we're training them for a race. And by the time training's all done, we have them up to 300 air miles, which we live in Southern California. We take them up to um, like mammoth area, Benton. And that's 300 air miles. And the by the time the race comes around, we might have, you know, five to 600 birds out of that original eight to a thousand because you what lose some, you lose what, some, okay. Yep. You lose some to hawks. You lose some just, you know, they become wild pigeons after that. Yep. If you ever go to McDonald's, just look at their feet. If they have a little band on it, you'll know that, Hey, that was a wow. pigeon at one point. <laughs> Dude, but, no uh, one would ever think to look for that except someone that's in a pigeon racing family. <laughs> right? <laughs> now hey, I will, been, though. Yeah, there's been plenty of times where I've been fishing, you know, especially at Havasu. There's uh, that Castle Rock wall. There's a bunch of pigeons up on that wall. Go look at those ones. There's Get a lot of here, dude. There's a lot of banded birds up there. Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. So by the time the, uh, the race comes around, which is usually held in, you know, early spring of every year, um, we get, you know, five to 600 birds to the race, all the owners of the pigeons come to the race. So we have three to 400 people at our house sitting here looking at the sky, waiting for their bird to come home. And whosoever bird comes home first, you know, it just, it gets paid out like a, like a bass tournament. Um, they're all sitting there waiting for their bird to come home and it's pretty wild. So is it, money. do they recognize their bird coming in? Is it on, is it a, like on their phone is it what's the deal how do they know their birds coming in so the birds have a counter chip on their uh band okay so when they walk into the loft the loft picks up that they're that that bird came home gotcha. and it, it gets all listed online so it's gotcha. all virtually done and the loft it's like a smart loft so it knows what birds are in there and which birds aren't and how long have you guys been doing this oh my dad's been doing it his whole life um just he's been racing pigeons his whole life i okay. should say but he started this uh his own pigeon race. Uh, I think he's on his 12th year now. Okay. Wow. Is it, pretty com is it a pretty that? common thing? Um, yeah, it kind of is. I mean, if you talk to some people about it, you know, it seems like everyone knows at least someone who has pigeons okay. that, or that races them. So it's, I wouldn't say it's as common as bass fishing, but, um, I got a good story. One time, my buddy, he was out here practicing diamond Valley. And I told him, I was like, Hey dude, I was, you know, we had a tournament the next day. I was like, dude, if you want to just come crash at my place, so you don't have to drive an hour and a half home, that's totally cool. He goes, yeah, sure. So he comes, uh, he comes over that night and he looks, looks at the pigeon loft and doesn't say nothing. And I, I look at him and I was like, dude, don't ask. I don't feel like getting into the story right now. And he goes, Oh no. Yeah. That's, that's, he goes, no, yeah, that's a, that's a pigeon loft. My dad has racing pigeons too. And I was like, really? no way. Yeah. 
and come to wow. find out his dad his dad has pigeons in our race wow no way <laughs> so yeah kind of a small world that's 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 insane dude and yeah like you probably this like this is this story I'm, i know you've had to tell it a million times just so it's so wild dude we had gunner stanton last in our last episode talking about his wild family business and then you guys have this this is just it's hilarious yeah. man <laughs> i don't know i would I'd say Gunner takes the cake on that one. I've been in that shop before. He's given me the personal <laughs> tour. <laughs> he takes the cake on that one. <laughs> it is a little it's a little gnarlier for sure, but this is pretty cool, dude. Last question on this. How much money do these people put on these pigeons for the race? Um, so there's a bunch of different it, – it's like buying into a fishing tournament. So you got your base pay, um, which the entry fee into the race is $100. Okay. And that gets paid out like a bass fishing tournament. But then – you can also pull your own bird. So you can put extra money on your bird, which would be like buying into like a big bass option or like a first flight option. So there's options like that. So, I mean, we've paid out people, you know, they've walked away with 20,000 plus here. You know, it's, no, it's there's crazy, there's some, dude. Yeah, it's pretty wild. There's, there's some chunk of change to be made. We can totally uh, understand being bass fishermen. Most people would not be able to understand uh, that whole deal, but as bass fishermen, <laughs> yeah, it's, we're gamblers ourselves. That's pretty cool, man. For sure. Uh, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's roll it back to uh, fishing. You talked about how uh, this is the first year you're going to miss the Open uh, since 2014, and you've had some really good finishes there. Do you have a couple or any uh, you know stories that stand out from that tournament as we look ahead to next week? You know, you always have a good story after every U.S. Open. It's just the U.S. Every Open. one. You're right. <laughs> There's always good stories, but. I think the one that sticks out most to me was 2016. Um, I believe I was 19 or 20 years old, super young. And uh, day one, I had a great day one. I think I had uh, almost nine pounds. So I'm sitting in the top 40 somewhere. Day two rolls around and I roll into this, the back of this cut that I've been looking at all practice. I said, I'm going to go start in there. So I start in the back of this cut. And I bomb, I take a, you know, I pull into the cut, drop my trolling motor, pull out my first rod, pull out a spinnerbait. I fire it into the middle of this cut, you know, I was going to sink it down into the deep grass. I fire it in the middle of this cut and I backlash. Spinnerbait sinks all the way to the bottom. Takes me about two minutes to pick out this backlash, get the backlash picked out. I start winding up on it and the rod just loads. And I'm like, well, that's different. That's not grass. And it starts pulling back. And I'm like, okay, I got a fish here. And my co-hunger like, you got one? And I'm like, Dude, just hang tight. Like, I'm pretty sure this is a striper. I get the fish up. It starts coming to the boat, and it's digging like a striper the whole time. Never comes up, never jumps, pulls up alongside the boat, and I see deep color, and it's green. And I'm like, dude, I was like, I take that question. I take that comment back. Like, get the net. This is a big, big large. Fish comes up, and it just lays there. He nets it. It was a 555 large. Wow. First, (laughs) First cast of the second day on a backlash, on a spinnerbait. And, you know, me and my co are high-fiving and my colleague looks at me and he's a, he was a local up there and he goes, he goes, dude, he goes, man, I've always wondered how people catch these big ones out here. And you just did it right in front of me. And I was like, I was like, don't take notes on that. dude. That's, <laughs> that is not how these guys catch big ones out here. But uh, that ended up being big fish of the, of the event that year. And it's a pretty fun story to tell. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a big it. deal because big fish and those deals, is that a, what a $2,000 fish, $1,500 fish, something like that. Yeah, I believe that year I won. It was like a fifteen hundred dollar check with uh, it was a brand new HDS twelve carbon when they came out. Yeah, it was a brand yes. new carbon. 
Yeah, another, so for, another three grand there almost. Yeah, for folks yeah. across the across the country that don't know Lake Mead, I mean, guys are weighing in five pound limits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, that's place that's a known giant that. fish. Was it? Yeah. Hey, was it thin or fat? Because they're notoriously thin that time of year. It's so hard to catch a five pounder. Very, very thin. You can go on my Instagram and look wow. at it. There's a picture of me holding her up, and I'm on stage holding her up, and you can just see how skinny she is. I mean, she was long, but very, very skinny. Wow, dude. Yeah, it's a, a body of a huge fish, just no gut, huh? Yep. Yep. That's pretty cool, man. Any other uh, you know, any other any other like you know, crazy uh rough water drives that you had or any other wild days from from the open in the past? Yeah, you know, everyone's got the rough water stories. Yep. Um those ones are always good. Uh I think my first year I ever fished it, I was well, I was 18 years old, the first year I ever fished the US Open and it actually came down from a buddy uh, of mine, Jay Wright. He owns the owner of Life Source Water Systems. He actually called me and goes, hey, dude. He goes, I can't fish the U.S. Open this year. You want to take my spot? And I said, yeah, it sounds great, man. Like, heck, yeah, this is awesome. So I jumped in on the U.S. Open all because of Jay Wright. And that's kind of what fueled my fire to fish these bigger tournaments because cool, it was such a fun year. But, you know, I was in my 1999 champion 203. And the thing was pretty, pretty clapped out. <laughs> and I'm out there on Lake Mead. And it was day one and that weather rolled in and I, I've never seen big water like that before. And I'm driving a boat. I got my co-angler in there. I'm responsible for him. And we made it through, but it was a good learning experience, you know, taking some waves over the front. And I really learned how to drive a boat during the tournament at that, you know, sure. back in 2014. You just, you have to learn. It's, you got to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, I, don't think the the, I don't think the non-boaters want to know that, but I think we all have learned in tournaments. Like <laughs> yeah. They, it, especially when you come from Southern California where you, there's not a lot of big water and we come from Arizona. I mean, granted the Colorado river's right there, but you don't get, I mean, you usually there's don't no go there Mead unless right there's a there. tournament, right? Yeah. Dude. Yep. Uh, so when I was 18, get this one, it's very, very similar. My first pro tournament, I'm, I'm 18 years old. It's a one bass pro-am back when they had the Western or the Southern and Northern one bass pro-ams. And, uh, I draw, so the first day of the tournament, I am in like a, a Ranger, old Ranger 520, and I draw the first boat out, and the wind is absolutely howling. It had been common practice, and same thing. I've never been in water like that, right? I'm the first boat out coming out of Colville, and there's, you know, a 25-mile-an-hour wind. They, they went out there, and they said, we're not going to cancel, but make sure you guys put your rain gear on because you're all going to get wet. So... I come out around the point around Colville and I'm headed to Vegas wash. And I, as soon as I come around the point and hit the waves, there's a wall of water, the first big wave. And instead of powering, instead of, you know, uh, uh, coming over the wave and then hitting the gas to get the bow up, I just come over the wave and I let off the gas completely. <laughs> and uh, we eat the first wave, probably the worst wave I've ever speared. And I gasp because I'm like scared. And now I'm choking on all the water, dude. We got water like up to our waist in the boat. And uh, I look, my eyes are like this wide. And I look at my co-angler and uh, he's like, looking at me the same way. Like, dude, holy crap. You don't know how to drive, do you? And uh, <laughs> we get the motor still running, thankfully. And we end up going a little further, end up spearing like five more waves and it feels like it takes 30 minutes and we get to swallow bay which is like one mile yeah <laughs> it felt like i drove 20 miles and we pull in there and start fishing and clear our heads but i'll never forget coming around that corner 
same thing, 18 years old, like no experience. And uh, yeah, being the first guy out there, it was, it was a, a, a freaky experience. Yeah. That's a make or break moment. You know, you gotta, you gotta buck up and get going. That's how you learn, man. You just, yeah, yep. that's a, that's, you feel for the co-anglers that are in those boats. In, uh, <laughs> yeah. Josh and Cody's boat at 18 years old. Yeah. You haven't, yep. you haven't lived till you have water level with the front deck of your bass boat. <laughs> yes, <dude. laughs> You're right. Yeah. We've all been there and we're sitting yep. there looking at the shoreline, which cove can I dive into? Because this I'm weighing over my head, you know, it's, it makes for a fun trip. It makes always for good stories. Yeah. Yeah. Any other ones, dude, any other, uh, I think you had one other story last night that you had mentioned that you wanted to tell. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, you're talking the lie detector test one, huh? There we go. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I took one two weeks ago, man. Go ahead. Oh, did you? Yeah. So, um, it was my first ever one I ever had him take. And it was, uh, it was, it was right after the, uh, Bass Pro tournament on Havasu that me and Jordan had won. And so that one was, you know, we, we won the, we won the event. We didn't think we had it won. I mean, we, we sat there, they made us sit on the dock in Windsor. We weighed in at two o'clock, but they wanted to come check all everyone's fish because they wanted the biggest bags to come up last so they can make a, a show out of it, make some suspense. And so they had us sitting down, you know, it's, we weighed in at two or we checked in at two o'clock. We didn't, we didn't put the fish on the scales until about four 30. Okay? Wow. That's brutal. Yeah. So we're sitting there in the water. We're keeping, you know, we're keeping ice to our fish and stuff. We're making sure the fish are all good, but it's hot. You know, it's October at Havasu and we're, <laughs> me and Jordan are sitting there. We're, we're jumping in on the side of the boat, just hanging on. We're, like I said, we're docked up. They're telling us to come in last and because they they're jumping from boat to boat, looking at who's got what and, you know, wanting at least the top 10 big bags to come in last. So finally we get to go way in. We end up winning the tournament, which was a huge shocker because we only had, we had just under 17 pounds and I, me, neither me or Jordan were like, we were like, dude, we don't have this thing one. We just, you know, we probably get a check out of this thing and go home. But yeah, we ended up getting, we ended up winning. And so, you know, the whole rush comes over and, you know, the adrenaline's pumping. We just won. And the tournament director comes up to us and goes, Hey, he goes, we have to hang tight guys. You got to take a lie detector test. And we're like, okay, cool. No problem. And so once the whole celebration kind of died down, you know, they're like, Hey, okay. Ready for the lie detector test. So yeah, let's go. And, uh, they picked at random. So they picked me to do the test for them. And so I walked into this room and I sit down with this guy and he works for the state of Nevada for child sex crimes. And this is what he does. He is a polygraph examiner. This is what he does for a living. So he's very good at what he does. So I mean, I met the guy and mind you, this little room, we're in like a C container and it's got the AC cranking. It's like 50 degrees in there. It's all a part of the, the process, you know? And so I'm sitting down, he puts all the little, you know, gadgets and gizmos on me, he puts like a big uh, spring around my stomach and I'm sitting there. And he starts talking to me, just wanting to get a baseline, you know, is your name Cody Spets? Yes, yes, yes. And then he goes, all right, before I start this test, I need to ask you a few questions before we start the test. And I said, okay, not a problem. So he goes, all right, question number one. He goes, this is not the test, but it's, it's something I need to know. I was like, okay. He goes, have you ever done anything in your life you wouldn't want your parents to know about? And I said, yes. And he goes, okay, what are they? So now oh, I have no. to tell this. <laughs> oh, so no, I have to dude. tell this guy. Yeah. And he's like, this is all confidential. So I have to tell this guy and I start, you know, you start thinking like, like what do I want to tell my parents, you know? So you start telling them what you can think of. Then the next question was, he goes, is there anything you've ever done that has been unsportsmanlike? And I said, no. He goes, are you sure? And I said, yeah, no, always been pretty clean cut with that. And he goes, you've never, you know, shot a rabbit outside a season. You've never 
made a cast into a no fishing area. Uh, you never went on pad in a no wake cell, you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, Dude. well, put it that way. So you start thinking, you're like, man, what other, you, you start feeling I like, like a criminal already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the, the third one was, you know, have you ever, um, committed fraud? And I said, no, he goes, you never, you never lied on your tax forms. You never, uh, done, you know, you never, uh, forge a sig- you know, just small stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm like, man, well, you start thinking about this stuff and like how many, you know, little things have you done that just kind of add up and this guy wants to know about it all. So the problem is your mind starts spinning with have I, did I tell this guy everything? So he starts a test and he goes, aside from what you've told me, is there anything you've ever done in your life? You wouldn't want your parents to know. And you're supposed to answer that question and no, but your mind starts racing again <laughs> and you can hear your own heartbeat. And yeah, I mean, you feel very, very violated. And by the time it was all said and done, the, the test was over. And I'm, I'm in there sweating bullets thinking I'm a criminal at this point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, by the sound of my voice, how do you think you did? And I was like, I don't know. At this point, dude, I just want to walk out of this room. And he goes, no, nah, dude, you passed flying colors. He goes, congratulations. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but man, I felt I felt violated you kind of feel like that guy is like on a little bit of a power trip picking on you a little bit, dude. Like that's, I'm not a polygraph examiner, but that's intense, dude. Like we've had long ones, but to, I've never been asked to like give stories and examples and stuff like that. Like that is terrible, man. <laughs> it was dude. So, and I was all excited to take my first poly, you know, my take my first polygraph and I, I couldn't care to do another one now. It, and, and maybe that's his technique, you know, like it, uh, they have like, I guess the computer, I think the computer gives you a score and then he does his own score. Um, at least that's one of the, you know, the last one I took. Um, and then, you know, they kind of, th- they put them together and, and see where you landed. Right. And they, they have a, they say, Oh, you've got an X in 1000 chance of being a deceitful person or you're, you, you know, an X in 1000 chance. They don't know for sure, but uh, maybe that's his technique, but that's for, did your partner have to take one too, or just you? No, just one, just one, one and done. Man, you got thrown yeah. to the wolves on that one. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, this guy worked for the, the DA of Nevada. Like he, this is his job and he, he, you know, worked with cops and that's a, that's what he specialized in was child sex crime. So he was good at, you know, getting, info out of you know his victims or oh, yeah you know that's his job so he was good at it i'll give him that <laughs> glad you passed that that's just you, you're saying, you know you didn't do anything but you're just petrified that you're gonna your yeah. mind is gonna go crazy and you're gonna look like a cheater it's <laughs> yeah so that was a fun one you know made for like i said makes for a good story oh yeah rob have you taken one dude i never you? have that's nope. i'm just in awe right here i can't yeah i I mean, they were they they were doing them back when I was fishing, but I just never ever had to do one. So right on, yeah, that's good. Hopefully, yeah, you keep it that way. How long do they yeah. normally take? I mean, like you said, you just did one, Josh. How long does it take usually, dude? It, you know, the actual test itself is pretty short. You know, if you hold still, like you can't move. If you move, right. you'll screw it up and you have to start again. But the test itself might be fifteen minutes. But um, you know, I have had to sit down for an hour plus with the guy before to get just to talk to him and get settled in. And, um, you know, he's reading, he's making, you know, assessments the whole time you're just talking. Right. And he's sizing you up and <laughs> I think crazy, I'd be a, you know, I think I'd be an absolute train wreck. Like just, 
I worry about everything. So I'd worry about that. Yeah. Right. It would no. be weird. And that's, right. it's the honest guys that freak out, dude. And like, we've had, you know, it, it, the guy that does it on tour, he's had several guys like throw up and stuff, you Gosh. know, and they're guys that are honest, good guys that they're just like petrified. They're going to get in trouble, dude, for doing something like you said, for your mind is thinking about a time you accidentally went seven miles an hour in a no wake zone 10 years ago, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and the dude that the dude that maybe is actually on the edge is like, it's cool. You know, I'm, I can get through this. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Has no emotion. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's talked about how guys go in there and like, there's ways to apparently make it harder. You know, like you clench your butt cheeks, you do stuff like you clench your muscles. So uh, for whatever reason, it keeps, you know, your, your breathing, the same, this, I don't know what it is, but he's like, I know when people are doing that and I tell them to stop, you know, just, just mm-hmm. be calm and hold still and do this and we'll get through this quicker, but um, pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So when are you leaving for the open? I'm going to head out tomorrow. Uh, I'm pretty I'm excited. You know, it's the first year at Mojave. So uh, we talked about it a little bit with Gunner, but um, you know, for me, I just going to have a chance to catch big smallies is much more fun than catching small fish. So I think, you know, we'll see how it goes. Maybe the lake will fish really small. Maybe it'll fish bigger than everyone thinks, but the wind forecast looks great, which is awesome. You know, I was hoping that we would get a full three days of competition and, and get full practice. And it looks like it's not going to be windy and it's still pretty warm. So uh, I think it's yeah. setting up to be good. That might be a little tougher on the fishing, but have you spent much time there? No, I've, I've fished Mojave maybe six hours and that's it. We fished it one time for about six hours and it was on a windy day. And was it? Yes. Yeah, so we didn't get to travel very far, but it's a fun lake. We caught fish and it's very pretty, very pretty lake. It's pretty unique. If you look, if you look at that thing on like Google earth, it is in the middle of the most arid desert that you could ever imagine. I mean, it's just dirt and tumbleweeds for hundreds of miles in every direction, basically. You know, you got Bullhead City right there in Laughlin, but it is in the middle of nowhere. And, and then you got this, I always talk about the Colorado River Lakes like an oasis, man. Like, it's just like, it's amazing because it's, you are in the middle of nowhere. The temps are over 110 all summer long. And then you got this beautiful clear water lake with vegetation and great fishing. And I mean, the, the, the river where you were talking about fishing growing up is the same way, right? Yeah. You got like a little oasis, you know, there's little palm trees sticking up everywhere. It's really green. The water's and, cool. Yeah. Water's cool. Then you walk, you know, 10 minutes out in the desert and it's 120 degrees and you see, you know, scorpions and rattlesnakes. Yeah. You get bit <laughs> by a dang Mojave rattlesnake, dude, or whatever they call yeah. them. Yeah. yeah Mojave uh, green. That is, they are nasty. Well, dude, uh, one last, I guess uh, my one last question for you uh, would be uh, it, to see without giving up any secrets, do you have any, any little nuggets for um, a new river fisherman? Yeah. Say someone's not real uh, comfortable fishing rivers and they end up having a, having to go to a river to fish a tournament. What are some things that you've learned uh, river fishing that would help some people just kind of general stuff? Got to go fast. Don't get stuck slowing down. Yeah, I mean, you find like a nice piece of grass, you know, looks healthy. There might not be a single fish in it. Just pick up a moving bait, go as fast as you can until you catch one. Because everything looks good? Everything looks good. And there really isn't a whole lot of fish in those places. You know, there's a lot of dead water. I think that kind of goes for all Colorado River lakes. You get a lot of dead water. Oh, yeah. And I think you just need to run until you bump into them. That's how I fish out there. You know, I fish very, very fast. That trolling motor doesn't see less than... He's 
and I'll have all moving baits until I come up to something where, you know, I say there is a fish in there. I might pick up a flip rod or a frog. So That's I think, good. yeah, my, my two cents would just be go fast. You didn't hesitate at all, dude. I like it. That that's that's a great tip, and that is such like for a for a, a newer angler, especially newer to a river. You go down there, dude, and you just want to flip every reed, and it looks so good. But yeah, if you're if you're covering ten percent of the water as a dude throwing a spinnerbait or a vibrating jig, swim jig, whatever, they are gonna find the fish, and you might just be flipping dead water all day. Yep, and it helps that the fish down there are very aggressive. They're not afraid to swim, you know, ten yards to come get your bait. They're very aggressive. It's pretty fun to watch a fish yeah. shark at your, uh, at your bait, man. Yeah. Definitely. What's the biggest fish you've caught on the river? Oh, I've got a, a nine and a half is my biggest. Wow. Yeah. That's down there. I mean, that's not even a big one. I mean, there's guys that catch consistently, you know, those 10 pound range fish down there and there, there are, they are in there. What's your biggest five out of there? My biggest five, just fun fishing would probably go, you know, high twenties. Yeah. Um, do they but, have derbies down there out of like Blythe and stuff or no? Oh, uh, they have a uh, uh, club tournaments. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Me and uh, Frankie Mueller actually fished one was it, two months ago. Now we jumped in on it kind of last minute and we ended up, we ended up taking the win on that one. It was pretty fun. We had, we weighed 20 pounds right at 20, you know, we nice. caught all frog, all frog fish, dude. It was a, it was a fun day. We're just sitting there laughing, catching frog fish. Next thing you know, we're like, Hey, we got some good ones, dude. <laughs> Cody, was it you or Frankie that ran from Martinez all the way up to Blythe? Uh, we've all made that run together. But in, yeah. the tur- in the tournament, that would be Frankie. Is that the gnarliest run ever? It's pretty gnarly, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'll take my big boat down there. I'll make the run. I, well, I'll make the run from Blythe down to, uh, you know, Hidden Shores yeah. in my big boat. But I'll do it on like a fun weekend. He did it in a tournament with low light, low water. <laughs> I mean, you got rock bars, sandbars, stumps. I mean, it's that's like some Red River running stuff right there. It's pretty gnarly. Probably worse. That's crazy, dude. How many miles yeah. is that? Uh, it's got to be it's pushing 60 for sure. Holy cow, dude. Yeah. Wow. 60 miles of this S turn and dodging every 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 corner you turn, there's something you got to watch out for. It's insane. Did it pay off for him? It did. Yeah. It did. I, I think he got second that tournament. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Frankie's our next guest. He doesn't know it yet, but after he wins the U.S. <laughs> Open, he's coming on as our next guest. We'll keep the got going. Yeah. That's my that's my boy right there. He's, he's a good cool. dude. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's. Yeah, cool, I think man. that's. I think that's a huge thing for you guys going back east, having the the river experience of navigating. Like that's you know us cent- <laughs> central Arizona guys. We don't have that. We're you know we're not we're not running in inches of water like you guys. And I, I think that that confidence of doing that your whole as you're coming up fishing makes a big difference yeah call it confidence or idiocracy one of the two but yeah we yeah. It's, you see shallow water you just got to step on it hopefully the beauty of the colorado it's clear so you can see what yeah. you're running in that's, yeah and most of it's helps. sand too so you're not going to hurt yourself too bad right. you got sandbars if you hit something it's 99 percent of the time going to be a sandbar and it's just going to polish up your prop a little bit yeah well, that's cool, man. I, I totally agree with you there, Rob. Uh, do you have anything else for him before we let Cody go? Uh, no, other than good luck, dude. Uh, I can't wait to watch how the season goes for you. Right on, guys. I appreciate it, man. Josh, good luck out there at the Open. I need it, man. We Thank you very it. much. Yeah, yeah dude. Pre- appreciate it. And then if you need anything this year, dude, I'll be I'll be watching too. But yeah, uh, don't be a stranger, man. I'll uh, I'll be looking forward to, to chatting with you and watching you fish this year. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Big time. All right, bro. Thanks for making the time, dude, and uh, have a good rest of your day. 
Yep. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, guys. See, See you, man. You. All right, bye.